And I want you to turn there to the book of Haggai. It's in the Old Testament. It's, it's toward the very end uh, of the Old Testament. If you're not too familiar with it, if you, if you know where Matthew is and back up just, just uh, three books, you're going to run into Haggai. You'll hit Malachi, Zechariah, and Haggai. So if you go to Matthew and just back up, you're going to hit Haggai. And it's only two chapters, the book of Haggai. It's a short message. It's a brief message. But man, did he ever make a statement that I think uh, means something. And I want to just share some thoughts out of it. I want to read verse number three. I'm telling you, just for the sake of making sure you read the Bible, I was very tempted to read just both chapters. Just in case I didn't say nothing else that mattered, you can say, well, at least he read the word. But... uh, but let's, let's hit these four verses, and then we'll come back to some more of it a little bit further along. Verse number three of Haggai chapter one. If you have it, can you say amen? How many got paper Bibles today? Paper Bibles, paper Bibles. Okay, now remember, if you don't have one, even if you're not new, you can go out there and you tell them the pastor said that I need a Bible. Now, this is what I need you to do. Don't start collecting Bibles on me because you forget to bring it every week. You need to go out there and get that Bible, put your name in it, and bring, the, and bring it uh, week after week. Amen. We like the Bible around here. The B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. We love the Bible. All right, Haggai chapter 1, verse number 3. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is worn. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You know, when, I, when V and I first got married, uh, it, was, it was always an adventure coming home initially because she was on a uh, mission to completely change what the house looked like. (laughs) Redo the furniture, (laughs) change everything. You all right? (laughs) I'm past it. How about, yeah. And so I would come into the garage and it would be a little bit more stuff in there and I would go look and see, so change the coffee tables. Come in the next week, garage have a little more stuff. Now mind you, my garage was empty. So I have a little bit more stuff, and I go look, oh, tables all changed, dining tables all changed, come in the next week, couches out in the garage, (laughs) chairs, week after week until finally there was no more room to change things. So she decided furniture's all changed, so now she'll change the knickknacks around the house. And so not knowing exactly what was changed one night because I know when I, when I leave uh, my bathroom 
and go down the hall into the kitchen, I basically know the number of steps. And so I don't necessarily go, I go from the light into the darkness. I don't necessarily turn the light on to go in the kitchen to get water because I, I know the number of steps. One night I did that, left the bathroom, went down the hallway, made the turn to go into the kitchen and I hit something that made the most horrible sound. It was, I had no idea. So of course I'm jumping, it's nighttime, um, not close enough to get my stuff. So I'm just thinking, you know, I don't know what it is. I'm just trying to get ready. And then I turn the light on and it was a milk can with some peacock feathers that was set there where I walked to go get my water every night. And my first thought was, a milk can with peacock feathers? Why? And why didn't you tell me that it was there? I tell you that story only to say this. If I'd have took the time to come out from the light into the darkness and focus on what was in front of me, I wouldn't have ran into it. And we have a tendency oftentimes when things don't go the way that we want them to go or the way we would anticipate or the way we think they should, we have a tendency sometimes to, to blame other folks because of what we didn't do. This is because of their fault. And, and in most cases, honestly, there's, if, if we really analyze our life and our situation, there's a whole lot of things that's on us, not on other folks. Now, now let me tell you this. There are some real issues that do happen in which, you know, if, if something would have happened the way that the person was supposed to do it, it wouldn't have happened. I, I can honestly tell you just with my limited experience with football, after we lose a game, we will tell the whole team, it wasn't one person who lost this. It was all of us, the whole team. But as soon as the team breaks up and the coaches are walking to the coach's office, man, if that kicker wouldn't have missed that extra point. I mean, and so, so there are some, some things, listen, even in life, it's real. If that drunk driver would have never been on the road, your child must probably still be here. Or if that person would have said, I don't want this divorce, let's work through it, then you may never be divorced. It's a fact that there are some things that happen in life that you can, there certainly is a, is a reason when you can look at and say, you know, that happened because of this. And we know that mostly because of Christ. Listen, it's clear. Jesus died on the cross not because of his sins, but because of mine. The father sent him not because he was sinful, but because we were. But if we're really honest about a lot of things in life, especially when it comes down to things of personal progress and growth and maturity, taking responsibility, when we really look at those things, the things that God has given us to do and the things that we should do, we recognize that those things are on us. And here's what I know. Here's what I know from experience and here's what I know from the scripture. God is a God that is deliberate and intentional, desiring 
always to do good for you. Always. God is a God of goodness. He always wants to do good towards you consistently and constantly. So even sometimes we may think, you know, what has God done or why God doesn't or, you know, what if God would have. And I'm telling you, there is nothing about God that wants to be anything less than the good God that he is. Am I talking to the right church? I want to take you to some folks that lived about 2,600 years ago. They lived in Palestine. They were some, they were some God-fearing, God-loving people that had a real understanding about what God's will was and God, what God's ways were. Unfortunately, during the life of some of those uh, people we call the nation of Israel, the Hebrew people, during their, during their life, some of them rebelled against God, primarily their leaders. And so what God did, he told them, and some of it had to do with what they was not doing feast-wise and Sabbath, etc. But because of their disobedience, the Lord said, I'm gonna, you're going to go into exile with a, another nation is going to come in. They're going to conquer you. They're going to dominate. And they're going to take you to live in their land. And you're going to be there for 70 years. But after 70 years, I'm going to let you go back to your, to your city, to your area, to your land the land that we know now as the nation of Israel and even the land of Palestine. And sure enough, and it, it, had, been, it, had, been, it had been very simply to the, to the you know, mayor of San Diego coming down to Yuma and conquering Yuma and taking everybody to live in California with all them exorbitant taxes and sanctuaries and all that nonsense. It's whole foreign concept. I mean, just a whole nother country. And, and so for 70 years, they lived in that. And then just like God promised, he told them you could return back to your land. The king rose up, Cyrus, who God had named 150 years before he was born. The prophet Isaiah said that there would be a king by the name of Cyrus who will let the people go back home. That's why I believe the Bible. 150 years before he was born, Isaiah said Cyrus would be the one that would let you go back. And sure enough, 49,000 people went back to Palestine. But this is what Cyrus told them, who was not even a Hebrew king, and this is what the Lord told him. You're to go back, and the first thing you need to do is to build the house of God, rebuild the temple because it got demolished. Do that first. 49,000 people were sent back. And sure enough, they went back and they started building the temple. And after a little bit, they got opposition among the folks who was living there. Samaritans primarily. They started opposing them and, and, and stopping them and mocking them and ridiculing them when they were building the house of God. Now, now think about that. Why would, they, why would they stop them from doing that? Just think about it for a minute, believer. Why would they? Because this is what we know. The house of God is the place where we meet with God with one another and in his presence. The house of God is where we sing the songs that acknowledge our God. That's the place where we come together and hear the word. That's the place with everything going on out there in the world. This is the place where we can come in and be either be silent before him, dance before him, hear from him, rejoice with him, rejoice with others, and get life recalibrated and get life reset. Of course they're going to want to stop them from doing those things because they were against God. They didn't want the people to worship God because why? That would influence the whole community. 
Listen, don't, and it's no different than this culture today. It's no different. Listen, people don't come against you because they're against you being you. Matter of fact, this world and culture celebrates people being them. But it's when it's you being you in Christ Jesus that they have a problem. It's you being you proclaiming this is what the Bible says. I know culture says this. I know media says this. I know your mom and your daddy said this. I know your friend said this. But this is what the Bible says. This is why we sing the way we sing. This is why we pray the way we pray. This is why we tell you if you don't live for Jesus, you're going to go to hell. We ain't trying to be mean. We're just being truthful. And so, of course, they're going to fight against it. But what those folks done, those 49,000 folks, instead of persevering, they stop. They stop building because they didn't want to fight against it. And when they stopped building the temple, you know what they started doing? They started building their own houses. And they started winning on and farming the land. And the land, that land was very fruitful. It's just like the Yuma Valley and the Dome Valleys and Gila Valleys, very fruitful. They just started doing their own thing. Planting their own houses, building their own lives, and putting that behind them. 16 years later, the word of the Lord comes to them and says, you got to build the temple. That's why you were sent here. And you know what they said? No, no, no. It's, It's just not a good time to do that. Those same people that are against us are still here, and we're just still trying to establish our own lives and get our houses in order and raise our children and preparing for marriages and, and building our businesses. It's not time for that. And the Lord sends Haggai, and Haggai tells him that, that what I just read you. He says, listen, you're out there every day, and you're working those fields, and you're sowing a whole lot of seed, but you're not harvesting a whole lot. You're out there day after day working those fields, and you never have enough. You're going into your homes from the crops that you've raised, and you still don't have enough food. You don't have enough fill. You're doing everything that you said you believe is the right thing to do. As a matter of fact, he says, you're even bringing in money. But the money is going in holes with bags. You're doing all the things that you believe is the right things to do for you. And yet you wonder why you're not experiencing the blessing. You wonder why things ain't going the right way. You wonder why things aren't going the way they should or the way it was promised or the way it anticipated. And here's what the word of the Lord said. Consider your ways. Consider your ways. He said, I want you to just analyze you. Analyze your life. Analyze the way you were doing things. And see if this is about me or is this about you? Because God's best always, God desires always to do his best for us. And let me tell you something, church. I learned this a long time ago. If you take care of the father's business, he'll take care of yours. If you take care of his business. So this is what he says. He goes on and this is verse number eight and this will be on the screen. It says, go up to the hills and bring wood and build a house that I may take pleasure in it that I may be glorified in it, says the Lord. He says, get up there and do what I told you to do. Verse nine, you looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew and the earth has withheld this produce. 
And I've called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and what the ground brings forth on a man and beast on all their labors. You see, that's the result of a flawed focus. That's the result of focusing on what I believe is best, what I believe is right, what's in my mind, what I've analyzed, what I've thought through, what I've concluded. That's the result of a flawed focus. Never enough. Things not working out the way that they should. Things that should be happening right aren't happening right. And yes, it's real clear that God said, hey, that was me. You brought in money and I blew it away. You got a new car and I popped the tires. You bought a new house and I caved in the roof. Why? Because I want you to consider your ways. Y'all doing all right? And so here's just real simple. And this this message ain't even going to take me long. Either you're going to get it or you won't. It ain't going to take me long. Because here it is. We just got to reset our focus. And we reset our focus by putting God first. You know, it sounds simple. But can I tell you something? I need to be reminded of that. You need to be reminded of that. Husbands and wives need to be reminded of that. Fathers, mothers need to be reminded of that. We can get so caught up in the life that we're in that sometimes we need the Holy Spirit to say, hey, hello. Hello. I'm still here. I'm still with you. I still got promises. Can you just put me first? And why should we do this? Can I just give you a real simple verse? Not even the whole verse. In Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God. That does it. It started with him. In the beginning, it didn't say in the beginning Tyrone. I know y'all glad about that. (laughs) Y'all should be glad about that. The book didn't start with me and it don't end with me. Thank you, Jesus. In the beginning, God. It starts with him. And listen what Exodus 21 through 3 says. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Hear this. You shall have no other gods before me. That even including us, not making us a God. We got to put God first, first in love. Matthew twenty two thirty seven says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, is loving God first, and then first in practice. Comes from the heart, comes from the will, comes from the mind, loving God first. I am committed to loving God first, and that will follow up with first in practice. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all things will be added to you. Now listen, God is not to be somewhere on your list. He has to be at the top of your list. If God is not at the top of your list, he must will not be on your list at all. Because nothing else is going to, it's not going to work. And, and you know what he did? He modeled to us what he wants us to do toward him. The scripture says he gave his first and only begotten son. The son that he loved, he gave for us so that we might love him. He modeled that. He modeled that. And so he tells us to follow that in course. And these are just some practical ways that I'll, that I'll, that I'll give you. And, and that's by giving God the first of my year. That's the reason why we start out with fasting. We are a little bit a week off than what we wanted to be. But, but the reason we start our year off with fasting for these 21 days is that so that we come to a place to allow ourselves to go before the Lord, 
uh, bringing a, a humility to ourselves, whether it be uh, putting away food. Now, listen, I know people say that they fast other things, and you probably should. They'll fast media and Facebook and TV. All that is good, but that doesn't define a biblical fast, and you can read that in the guide. A fasting is fasting some food, get, putting some stuff away, and uh, allow, allowing this flesh to cry out which encourages you to seek the almighty God for strength and nourishment and encouragement in spiritual things. But for 21 days, set aside that time of the year where you go and seek the Lord. The other thing is the first day of the week. There's all kinds of first in the Bible. Uh, Frank DeMazza wrote a real good book about the first things uh, in the Bible. And uh, so, of course, we, we just told you about the first of the year fasting, but also the first day of the week for assembling at the house of God. Gathering together the first day of the week. Now, I, I know obviously some churches now, churches on Saturday night, and if we keep growing, that may be one of the options that we have to do. But here's, here's the idea of it. The first day of the week was established in the New Testament for good reason. After the resurrection of Jesus, they gathered together week after week. The day that Jesus rose, and there's scriptures in Acts, there's scriptures in John. I could go through all kinds of scriptures in Corinthians where they gathered the first day of the week because of the resurrection. And it started the day that Jesus rose and uh, they were all gathered in John chapter 20. All the disciples would gather together. Jesus comes into the room and he says, peace unto you. And we can follow that pattern all the way through. It's good to gather the first day of the week or, or whatever day, would, in our case, it is the first day of the week to worship God. That's not, again, that's not something that should just be if I get around to it. Here's something I, I like that uh, Damasio wrote in, in his book, he said this, our great-grandparents, talking about Sunday, called it the Holy Sabbath. Our grandparents called it the Lord's Day. Our parents call it Sunday, and now we call it the weekend. Now, you might have missed that point, but, but the idea of Sunday has diminished to being just part of the weekend. And whatever goes on your schedule in the weekend is what you're going to do. When we lived under generations who knew that day to gather before with God's people was very important. Some of you know I love Churchill. Churchill said this, and uh, I, I really like this. Uh, I'll read what was happening first and then, and then, the, then, the, then the quote that he said, and it, it talks about in the early days when Nazi was, uh, Nazis was moving in and dominating Europe, that the, kind of like our Congress, the, the British Parliament would still take the weekends off. People getting bombed, people getting killed, and, and Churchill, of course, trying to lead the nation, needed to make decisions on a regular basis. Things was happening on Fridays, Saturdays, and Sunday, and he had to wait for them to go home hang out in their country houses, and then come on back on a Monday after thousands of people had already got bombed before he can make decisions. Y'all, I'm not mad. I'm all right. I'm just, just telling you. Just a little passionate about a few things right now. So, so Churchill said this. He said, that Britain's rulers continue to take its weekends in the country while Hitler takes his countries in the weekends. So while they taking off on the weekend, Hitler moving in. While you taking off on the weekend, you said it. You said it. And, and when we 
take the leisure just to say, well, we're just going to take these days off because it's the weekend. You're just giving Satan an upper hand. If y'all say amen, I'll move on. The, the, the other thing about giving God first, first of the year, first of the week, and I've shared this with you already, give him the first of your day. If you got to set that alarm 15 minutes early, listen, I'm telling you, you'll get through the Bible if you give God 12 minutes every morning. And, and this may be short time, but you can do more during the day. But if you give God 12 minutes of reading and go on your knees for three minutes and talk to the creator, Amen. I'm telling you, it will start your day out right. Give God 15 minutes. How many of you, you know, I was listening to a message and Tisha walked in while I was listening to it. And, and, and the pastor was asking the folks, don't, how many, don't y'all got so many minutes to give to, to the Lord? And Tisha turned around and said, that's ridiculous. <laughs> you shouldn't have to ask anybody if they got a few minutes to give to God. And it's true. I, I'm not going to ask you if you got 15 minutes. You got 15 minutes. Give that time. To the Lord. Can you say amen? amen. Here's, here's the next thing. I, and so we want to give him the first of the year. We want to give God certainly the first of the day. We want to give him the first 15 minutes. And can I just say this? Give God everything of what he gives to you. Give God everything of what he gives to you. We around here, biblically, we call it a tithe. Some translations may say the tenth, but it's a tenth of everything that God gives you. A tenth of your, of your income. Listen to what the word of the Lord says in Leviticus 27, 30. It says, every tenth of the land's produce, grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It's holy to the Lord. Listen, it belongs to him. Tyrone Jones knows for a fact, any check that comes to my house with my name on it, I know first and foremost that belongs to the Lord. Everything I got belongs to the Lord. It's not mine. And, and, and I'm just going to tell you some things about, about money, if you don't mind. You, you don't have a right to use money however you want. You really don't. It belongs to him. He's the one that has provided for us. And, and, and I, I got to tell you, if you think you're smarter than God when it comes to money, you've really missed it. If you think you're smarter than him. And I'm telling you what the Lord says. You trust me with the tenth. Now, can I just say this? Most of us that have the habit of giving in time, we don't even look to see if it's a tenth. You just give and you just give and you just give and he just keeps blessing and blessing and blessing. And now can I tell you something? Listen, I don't ever want you to think when I talk about this, I'm talking about it because CTC needs money. I'm going to tell you right now, we're very blessed. We got a budget meeting tonight with the elders. We got more than enough to do the things that we need to do. More than enough. And we will keep having more than enough because even CTC believes in tithing. We give 17% of everything that comes in, we give back out because we believe it's the right principle. I'm not telling you this for CTC. I'm telling this for you. It's obedience. It's faithfulness. It's, it's the right thing to do. Baby, you told me I was going to preach. I'm up here fussing. You said I was going to preach today. <laughs> I'm up here fussing at the folks. Money will always tell you where your heart is. All, all I got to do is look, look on your computer and see where your, where your money's going. That'll tell you where your heart is. Amen. So Deuteronomy says this, and, and well, I won't leave it alone. I'll say one more thing, then I'll leave it alone. It says, you must set aside a tithe of your crops, one-tenth. Of all the crops you harvest each year, bring this tithe to the designated place of worship, the place the Lord your God chooses for his name to be honored. Doing this will teach you always to fear the Lord your God. That's, that's a promise. And you don't have to be afraid to do this. I'll, I'll just tell you this 
Bible story real quick, and I'm going to wrap this. I'm going to wrap this up. And I did know I was going to go a little bit past the time this morning, but just hang with me. But there's a there's a biblical uh, event that happened in First Kings chapter 17. It's a prophet by the name of Elijah, and the Lord told him to go to a land where this lady named Zarephath lived. And He says, "When you." When you, I want you to go to that land, that's where I'm going to provide for you. Now, here's the interesting thing about when the Lord told Elijah to do this. Elijah was all, there was already a famine going on that the Lord told Elijah to declare because of Ahab and Jezebel's nonsense. He says, I want you to declare that there's going to be a famine in the land. And I believe that famine lasted three and a half years. I'd have to go back and check. But at this time, it was about six months into the famine. Everything was drying up. Land was drying up. Water was drying up. The Lord told Elijah to go down to this brook, the brook, Kidron Brook. And he says, I'm going to supply water for you there. Not only did he supply him water, and those of you that know anything about birds, get this. He sent a raven every day to bring him bread and meat. Now, anybody that knows ravens know ravens are meat eaters. They ain't bringing you, they meat. But God provided him. Every day he sent a raven to bring him bread and to bring him meat. And he drank water out the Kidron. And then the Kidron brook dried up. And the Lord said, go down and see, go down to this land. And there's a lady there in, in Zarephath. He walks into the land and, and this lady had ran out of everything. She had one son. She's out there collecting sticks. And Elijah comes up and says, man, what are you doing? She says, I'm, I'm, I'm collecting sticks. And I, I got a little bit of oil and a, a little bit of, of uh, flour. I'm just going to make something for me and my son. This is all I got. And then we're going to die. And Elijah says, I want you to keep doing what you're doing. He says, bring me some water. And I want you to keep doing what you're doing. And I want you to feed me first. Now, most of us would have heard that and would have thought you insensitive. How in the world can you as a grown man go ask that widow to feed you first before her and her child eats the last meal and die? But something snapped in the woman's spirit. She realized, you know, this ain't normal. And this is the prophet of the Lord. There's something in this principle that's more than this man just want me to serve him. So she went and did it. She, she went and got it, made the fire, made the little bread meal and gave it to Elijah. Elijah ate it and when, as Elijah was walking out, he says, you'll never run out. And if you read the scripture, the scripture says the whole time during the drought for three and a half years, the woman's cupboard kept getting filled up with stuff to eat. Because listen, it's all about doing the first thing, the first thing. And God always promises, I'm going to wrap this up, turn back to Haggai real quick because we need to obey the Lord. And listen, I want you to get stirred up. I want you to get stirred up to do the first thing. And that's what we see in Haggai chapter 1. Because the scripture says Zerubbabel and Joshua and the people, they got stirred up. And when they got stirred up, Haggai said to them, listen, the Lord is saying he's with you. And verse number 14 says Zerubbabel got stirred up and the people got stirred up. And they began to do the work of the Lord. And do you know what they let set for 16 years got done in four months? In four months, when it was all done, the presence of God came and blessed them and listened to what the Lord said on the day of that blessing in Haggai 2, 18 and 20. It says, think about this 18th day of December. 
This is the day when the rebuilding of the Lord's temple began. Think carefully about it. Watch this. He says, I'm giving you a promise now. While the seed is still in the barn, you will have not yet harvested your grain, your grapevines, your fig trees, your pomegranates, and olive trees because they hadn't yet produced. But from this day forward, I will bless you. Listen to what the Lord is saying. He said, mark this day. This is the day that you started this, and here we are finishing it four months later. And he says, guess what? You already still got seed that's still in the barn. And your other trees haven't even produced yet. He said, because why? I'm making you a promise. This is the way it will always be. I will always make sure you have more than enough if you do what God wants you to do first. Come on, I'm challenging you. You need to get stirred up. You need to get stirred up to put God first. Put God first in worship. Put God first in giving. Put God first in loving. Put God first in serving. Put God first. Just get stirred up and watch what the Spirit of the Lord will do. Father, I want to thank you for being, I'm just going to wrap this up with a time of worship. There'll be folks up here that'll pray with you, but we're going to wrap this up. Father, I want to thank you for being so good. And your promises are yes, yes, and amen. And Lord, I pray that we get stirred up as a people and do the first thing, first focus, first upon you. Let all those other things, Lord God, after you seek you, just fall into place because you are a God that's true. Lord, even here, there may be somebody here today, the first thing they need to do is commit their life to you. Lord, stir upon, stir their hearts, stir their minds. May the spirit of God be upon them. Lord, those who are seeking you for deliverance and for healing, Lord God, let them seek you first. And Lord, you'll do what you do. You're so good at keeping your promises and keeping your word. And Father, we thank you. Lord, as we leave this place, let us be stirred to obedience, stirred to faith, stirred to commitment, stirred to devotion, stirred, Lord God, to glorify you. You're awesome and amazing, and we love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. May the people of God shout hallelujah.